Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 8 this morning. I, I was going to kind of just kind of give you a summary of all of Deuteronomy, but when I start studying, it's too good to pass by, so uh, we may still do a chapter at a time for a while. Uh, Deuteronomy is Moses' second, uh, second telling of the law and sermon to the children of Israel. They're prepared to enter into the promised land. They're going to fight battles. They're going to face idolatry. Um, they are going to be, they've been isolated in the desert for these 38 years. And these people who are going to go in uh, from 20 years old and up when they came out, of, or 20 years old and down when they came out of Egypt, now middle-aged kids were born in the desert, and they haven't seen Egypt, and they haven't seen Canaan. And so <clears throat> they have lived in a protective environment, and the Lord is saying to them uh, through Moses in the second giving of the law and the instruction, and he's saying to them, here's what you're going to face, here's what you have to watch for, here's how, what I'm doing, what I've done, and uh, here's what you have to do. And so I think it's just a great reminder for us. Again, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, it says that they were our examples upon whom the end of the age has come. We're living in the end of the age. And I'm not talking about Christ coming immediately, but the end of the age biblically is after Christ was crucified until he comes again. This is the end of the age. So we're living in, in this time. And we're to remember what they faced and not face and not fall in the same traps. Uh, unfortunately, we do. Unfortunately, we don't, uh, uh, we don't study and pay attention and, and as we should. And we have the same human nature that these people had. We have a different culture, but same human nature. Satan's temptations have never changed. Human nature has never changed. And uh, we sin. And we fail to trust God. And that's what chapter 8 is about. It is that when you go into this land, you trust in God. Um, So uh, I can imagine the anticipation of these people. They know they're going to enter in this land. They've been in the desert or wilderness. It's not really necessarily a desert, all we think of that, but they've been in the wilderness. um, And now they have the promise of vineyards and houses and uh, they have a place to dwell permanently and get out of their tents and cities they haven't built. And so they're anticipating going in. And so here's what Moses says to them and what's divided into chapter 8. Read with me verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might grant that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You're familiar with that last phrase. So 
Moses is saying, you've got to remember the commandments of the Lord. And he's not speaking just of the ten, but he's speaking of all that Moses had given through Leviticus uh, and now into Deuteronomy. So he's speaking of all the law, the, the ceremonial law, the moral law, uh, the hygiene law. He's saying, you just got to remember these things. You've got to remember the commandments that the Lord has given to us. Um, and then he said, I want you to remember, second, the testing that you've gone through. I, I want you to remember that the trials you went through were not random. They were testing of the Lord. The Lord tested you. And, and I say to you regularly, I believe in the sovereignty of God. So what that means is that God rules and not only does he rule in the nations, and, and the psalmist tells us that, he holds the nations in the palm of his hand. Not only he rules in the nations, and not only he rules the rulers. Uh, the scripture tells us that God lifts one up and puts down another. He selects rulers. And, and so God, God knows the boundaries, Acts chapter 17, verse 27, I think. He knows the times and the boundaries of every nation under heaven. He establishes the times and boundaries of every nation under heaven. So God knows uh, exactly what's happening in our world today. He's established those boundaries. He's given us those rulers. And he knows when those nations come to an end. If the U.S. is going to come to an end, uh, the United States of America, before the second coming of Christ, God knows that, and he scheduled it. Okay, so that's what the sovereignty of God means. I believe that. But you bring it down to a more personal level. I believe God has sovereignty for this church. I believe God has a sovereign will for my life. I believe he works in my life daily. And he, 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 he directs me by his spirit if I'm paying attention, if I remember. If I go my own way and don't think about him and don't think about his work, then I, I'm not directed by him and generally I fall in the ditch. And, uh, and so sometimes we fall in the ditch, we, nor- we normally break something. And so um, we've, done, we've all done that. And so here's, here's, we just need to remember that this was a time of testing. Testing is not necessarily bad. We think it is. We, when, when we're in trial, we have a tendency to feel sorry for ourselves. Can I get an Amen. <laughs> I never did do that when I was preaching. I never did say that one time, but I like saying it now. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you know, I mean, we feel sorry for ourselves, don't we? I feel sorry for myself. You know, I stubbed my toe, and I feel sorry for myself. And, isn't it interesting? But he's saying, you remember the testing of the Lord. The testing of the Lord was designed to reveal what was in their heart. And you think, okay, they're in the wilderness, for goodness sake. There are no... There's, there's no TikTok there. I mean, they can't, they, they can't be tempted by very much. I mean, there's no cities there. They can't go dancing at night. I mean, so there's, what, what in the world's tempting them? Well, they're human nature. They're tempted to pride. They're tempted to lust. They're tempted to jealousy. They're tempted to all the things of human nature. See, again, temptation has nothing to do with the outside world. Are you aware of that? Temptation has to do with my heart. And humbleness has to do not with my circumstance. You don't have to be poor to be humble. It's with your, it has to do with your heart. It has to do with whether you have pride in self or not. Or whether you say, 
that I am a sinner and I don't deserve anything in this life, but by the grace of God, He redeemed me. And not only has He redeemed me, but He adopted me into His family. And then He has given me some blessing. And, but the blessing, uh, and if we want to say that's material thing, the blessing is not the grace. The grace is the redemption and the adoption. That's the grace. There are people today who, in Ukraine who had their houses blown away and they have had to go uh, as a refugee to somewhere else. And, and if they're Christian, they're loved to the Lord just as much as we are who got up in our comfortable house this morning and our coffee pot was perking when we got up and our, our car started and drove here. And they're just as blessed to the Lord as we are. You know, but we don't really believe that, do we? The Bible teaches that, but we don't see it that way. We think, oh my, how can that happen to them? How can that happen to the Christians in that area? How, how can that happen to uh, what happened in Iraq? You know, when, when, uh, when the U.S. went into Iraq, and I'm not condemning the U.S., but I'm, I'm just giving you fact. When the U.S. went into Iraq, there were like 600,000 Christians in Iraq. Today, there's about 60,000. So... Where did they go? Well, they had to flee. They had to flee persecution. And so they're scattered from their homeland. They're scattered into other areas. But are, are, is that not the blessing of the Lord? But I, so I just, I'm saying to you, I'm saying to you that when, I'm, when I have a difficulty in my life, the very first question I should ask is that, Lord, I need to examine myself. Am I right with you? Am I following you? Am I, this is a test. Life is a test. All of it. And so, is this, is this a test that I need to change something, or do I need to just pray? Do I, do I need to have more faith? Do I need to say, do I need to surrender? And, and hum, see, humbling yourself is a surrender to God. Not to each other, but, it's, but if you're married, it is. I mean, if you have a spouse, it is. Uh, I don't have that in my notes, but you go over the New Testament and it's that, you, you know, you, you are to humble yourself to each other. You're, you're to love and obey and, and all, that, all that stuff. There's my marital, there's my marital counsel. Do all that stuff. Just do all that stuff, you'll be all right. <laughs> it's the doing of it that's a little difficult. So, okay, and he's saying... I want you to remember that God has humbled you. Uh, and humbling teaches us what's the most important thing in life. And I, these are so well, this, this is such an elementary thing, but we keep finding it in the scripture. We keep finding it over and over. God keeps saying through Moses to these people remember the commandments, remember the commandments, remember the commandments. And he's speaking about remember the law, remember the instruction of God. Re- remember not that it binds you up and keeps you from doing anything or having any fun or being an individual, but remember that it puts protection around you. It protects your marriage, it protects the rearing of your children, it protects your society, it, it protects your life, it protects you as a person. Remember God's instruction and, and when you need to be humbled, Humble yourself before the Lord. Say, Lord, uh, I want to respond to you. I, and so when trial comes in your life, when hardship comes, uh, when you stump your toe, 
Say first of all to the Lord, Lord, I surrender myself to you. If, 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 and if I'm wrong, show me. And see, that's humility. Humility is that I'm willing to accept responsibility for my sin. And I'm willing to repent of my sin. That's true humility. So I want to say to you that those people who have not been humbled in life are probably not God's children. Because the only way you can be saved is you humble yourself to say, I am not worthy of God's forgiveness, and I need a Savior. I need a substitute. I need a penal substitute. I need Jesus Christ, who shed his blood, died in my place, and uh, offers me freely his grace. And if, you, if, if we haven't done that, people who haven't done that, uh, I, there was a man named Meacham that... Uh, was a, was a professor and pastor and commentator, wrote years ago. And one of the things he said, he said that the, the, liberal, the liberal Christianity, he said, which is not Christianity at all, they see Jesus as an example to be followed. He said biblical, biblical Christianity sees Jesus as a sacrifice to be believed in and to have faith in. And there's a world of difference. We, we don't come here this morning to be, learn how to be better people. We come here this morning and we respond in gratitude because we're not better people, but because Christ forgave us and accepted us into his family and he is making us into what might be better people. And so there's, there's a world of difference in that. So those who have not been humbled are not really God's children. When we read in these three verses here, when he said that you may live, that's in the first verse. He said that, that you may live and multiply. When we've been going through uh, following these people, and especially in Deuteronomy, that you may live is a refrain, that you may live, that you may live. Now, it can be interpreted in two ways. Their forefathers didn't get to live in the land. Their forefathers had to stay in the wilderness until they died. And they didn't get to come into the land. So it, it has to do with the physical life that you may live. You, if, if, you want to live if you want to live, then you follow God, follow his instruction. But the reframe really, in, in most instances, it's interpreted that your life might matter. Not, not that it has consequences for the world, but I'm not saying that. But your life would be... It'd be significant life. You follow the Lord, you have significant life. It's a life of fullness. I wanted to give you what he speaks about. I want to kind of develop that. It doesn't just mean that you survive physically. It means you're aware of the significance of being alive, and you're in a relationship with your Creator and your Savior. You're aware of the significance of being alive. You're, we, we're alive. Now, when I get up in the morning, and you probably do this as well, and you know, the body kind of creaks, and as you get older, it creaks more, and it doesn't operate like it used to, and, and you know, that's not our really thought. We're not really saying, Lord, I am so glad I'm alive. Yeah. <laughs> I feel wonderful. <laughs> we don't normally do that. But what it's speaking about is that we go through our time, and we have a conscious awareness I am a child of God. I am, I am here at God's appointment. 
I live in this city, and I live in this time frame, and bad as it is, Bill told us, I'm here at God's appointment. I'm God's child. This, God appointed me to be born to those parents and me to have a stepdad who was alcoholic. God appointed me to that. God appointed me to one day come to this church. God appointed me to salvation. He appointed me uh, to marriage. He appointed me. And, and, and I am his child. And see, and so he has, he wants me to live. I am alive. I am living in his presence. See, to, to live doesn't mean that we're going to live eternally. We're going to live eternally, but we're living in God's presence today. If, if you're saved, you're living an eternal life today. You're living in the presence of God today. Now, one day we're going to live literally in the presence of Jesus Christ, resurrected, and we'll see him in a bodily form. And we will have a sense and see the glory of God, not... God doesn't have a face, so we won't see God's face because he's not human. But Christ was made human, and we will see him. But today we see him by faith, but we still live in his presence. His Holy Spirit is within us. And when we come together, the Holy Spirit is within us as a group. And so we live in his presence today. So it's more than just being alive. He created us to worship. And worship doesn't mean church. It means we live in the awareness of God, and we respond with faith and gratefulness. When you come to the New Testament and the theme of life in the New Testament, I want to just give you these things really quick. Jesus said that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's not when you die. That's not eternal life. That happens when you die. That's eternal life right now. We have eternal life, we who believe in Jesus. John, in his gospel, said, Whoever drinks of the water of life that Jesus gives will never thirst, but will have living water in him from the Lord. Okay, so today, we who know Christ, we shouldn't have a thirst for some kind of fullness. We have the fullness. We have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There are religious sects that teach you that you can get a second blessing and be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, when you came to know Christ as Savior, you, you received and were sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that's all you get. The difference is, is whether you manifest the Spirit's leading in your life through the Word of God, or whether you quench the Spirit in your life and don't respond to the Word of God. See, that's the difference. You quench the Spirit, and the Spirit's not free to lead you and guide you and give you an assurance of who you are in Christ when you're quenching the Spirit. How do we quench the Spirit? By being disobedient to the Word of God, by not following the dictates of the Word of God. And I'm not talking about checking every detail of your sinful life and not ever sinning or not ever committing a bad thought. I'm not, but I'm saying follow the details of the commandments of the Lord. The commandments of the Lord is that Lord, I'm your child. I'm your child. I belong to you. And we have an awareness of God and his sovereignty in our life. We are sinners. We're going to sin. So that's not the issue. The issue is what do we do after we're aware of it? What do we do after we're aware of it? So, so John said, you have living water. You have living water in you from the Lord. Jesus said, I am come, listen to this, I am come that you might have life, 
and that you might have it more what? Abundantly. Now, what's abundant life mean? It doesn't mean the car you drive. It doesn't mean the house you live in. It means your relationship with Christ. He wants us to have an abundant life. Uh, and and we, we want the abundant life. We, we want what, what's the guy in Houston that preaches in the big church? Olson, Olson. See, he promises things. He promises, you know, you follow him and you're going to have the abundant life. You're, going to, you're your best life now. And if you buy thousands of his books, he has the best life. And, uh, and, and, and you have a doorstop. <laughs> but that's not what he's talking about. When, when, when Jesus said, I want you to have life abundantly. He means that when you go through the trials of life and you're... You're suffering and your body's suffering, your family's in, 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 in conflict or your children are having struggles with life. And What he's saying is that I, that abundant life is you say, I am here in God's presence and it's okay. And, it, I, and I'm okay and it's okay because I'm a child of God and his spirit dwells within me and his promise is, is in my life. And whatever happens, it's going to be okay. You know, we're familiar with this saying because this is what Jesus said. You, 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 you know the story. You find it in Matthew's gospel. You find it. Uh, he's led into the temptation. I want to read to you what a commentator named Raymond Brown wrote. Uh, Jesus is led... Uh, into the wilderness, he goes 40 days without eating, and then that 40 days may be symbolic of how many, how long these children were in the Israel, uh, Israel was in the wilderness, 40 years. So he goes 40 days without eating, and then Satan appears to him. So Satan didn't appear to him the whole time, but after the 40 days, when he would be at his weakest point physically, uh, Satan appears to him, and, and we're, we're familiar with it. This is what Raymond Brown had to say. After Jesus' spiritual experience of his baptism, he was led by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness, and after he had fasted 40 days, uh, he would have been desperately hungry. The devil then invited him to work a miracle by turning the light brown stones of the Judean desert into fresh, warm loaves so he might immediately satisfy his hunger. If he did, he would prove that he was God's son. That's what the devil said to him. If you're God's son, I, I put that in. If he if he'd prove he's God's son, as the voice from heaven declared at his baptism. Remember what happened at his baptism? God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, so Raymond Brown said, but Jesus was not simply invited to turn stones into bread. It was much more. The temptation was to doubt God's word. Are you really God's son? It's what I'm adding that. Are you really God's son? If you are God's son, that's what Satan said. If you are God's son. You remember what he did to Adam and Eve in the garden? He said, did God say? Did God say? And then this is what he uh, did God really say? Now, this is my word. 
if you doubt God's word, you doubt God's nature. Because God is the God of his word. And when we doubt his word, we're doubting his nature. You know, that's why I think our pastor mentions from time to time about there are churches that have basically reinterpreted the word of God. And, you know, and the problem is, is they're leading their people astray because they're doubting the nature of God. Uh, when, you, when you change his word, you've changed who God is. Um, God clearly said, this is my son. And then he said on another case, hear him, hear him. Uh, would he do something to Jesus, not in Jesus' best interest? You say, well, yes, he sent him to the cross. No, that was in Jesus' best interest. That's why he came. That's, that's why he was incarnate in the flesh. He was incarnate in the flesh, not to be an example of life for us, but to die in our place. So that was the right thing to do, for God to do that. And so uh, when Jesus responded, and he used these very words, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You, now, I want to say two things. He said, you don't live by bread alone. Okay, so we have to have bread. We have to have things. We need a house. We need a car. In our society, we, we do. So we need things. But he's saying, you don't live by those things, but by alone, alone. Okay, so they're necessary, but they're not life. But we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Here's what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said, you have never received spiritual life by your own feelings. It was when you believed God's word that you lived, and you will never get an increase of spiritual life and grow in grace by your own feelings or your own doing. It must still be by your believing the promises and feeding on the Word of God. Spirituality is not a feeling. I didn't get to come to the concert Thursday night. How many of you came to the concert? My wife came. I was working. And she, she, she blamed me of working so I didn't have to come. But, uh, but I would have come. But anyway, she was telling me that it was excellent. And I, 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 I've told you sometimes when Robert's leading us in the congregation, I have a feeling, and it, it moves me, and I, and I worship. But feelings don't make you spiritual. It's the words. It, it, it's the word of God. Uh, and it's the expression of the word. I'm agreeing with the word of God. I'm understanding the word of God. And, and so feelings are a part of worship. But you can't divorce them from the Word of God. You can't divorce them from what you're thinking and what you understand. And so it comes together. Feeling is a part of worship, but it's based, the foundation of that is the Word of God. That makes sense to you that I'm saying, am I saying it the right way? And then, okay, back to the text itself. Then we're going to read it in verse 4 through 6. He said, first he said, remember... um, God, and then he said, I want you to remember the commandments. Now he said, I want to remember what God did for you. Verse 4, your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God has chastened you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God. 
Chastening is a proof of God's love. Tells us that in the New Testament in Hebrews. Here's what Hebrews says. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son or every child whom he receives. He scourges me, he chastens me, he chastens you. And he does it because he loves us. It's a proof of his love. Our trials in life, the testing we go through is a proof of his love. And then verse 7 through 10, we're to remember what God is now doing. He said, remember what God did in the past. Now I want you to remember what God's doing in your life today. Verse 7, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, of springs that flow out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and plum granites, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Okay? We are sustained today by our faith. And the Lord gives good gifts to us. It, where is it in Mark? It is, his, it is his pleasure to give us everything. It's his pleasure to do that. Now, we're going to have it in heaven one day, but it's... He gives us everything we have today is a gift from God. We're his stewards. Um, what's God doing in your life today? Philippians 2.13. It, it's, it's God who works in you to accomplish his will. It's good pleasure to do that. He's at work in our lives. Um, and then he says this in the next paragraph. Don't forget God. When you're established in the land, when, when all these things he's promised you in verse 7 through 10, when, when you have the springs and you have the crops and you have, when you have, you have all these things, don't forget the Lord. So look, read verse 11 through, through 17 with me. And it, it's kind of a long passage, but read it uh, with me. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have be, built beautiful houses, and dwell in them, that's us, when your herds and your flocks multiplied, your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water from you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that you might that he might test you to do, to do you good in the end. Then you shall say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. <laughs> we hear the refrain all the time that if you work hard, anything's possible in America. You know, it's just up to you. You may use work hard as possible. And that's really not true. Now, I'm not against the American dream. I mean, I, but it's really not true. There, there are people who come from circumstances and they don't, have, they don't have an opportunity to get an education. So all things are not possible to them. There are people who come from circumstances and homes in our nation 
and uh, they uh, have no opportunity for work. Uh, they, they live in a depressed area, and that maybe the Rust Belt, or, and they just don't have the opportunity. They, they might get by, but they just don't have the opportunity that we have experienced in a growing uh, society, in a, in a growing, what, what's the word I want to use, uh, economic society. We have lived in the best of times. Are you, I, I believe that. Now, that's just my opinion. We've lived in the best of times. Jobs have been available. We live in the oil field uh, area. Jobs are available. You can work. But it's just not true for everyone. But that's not a measure of God's blessing. And, and we shouldn't think it is. When we, when we see people who are poor and they have remained poor, um, we shouldn't think that it's their fault necessarily because they haven't worked as hard as we did. That's what, that's what the Lord is saying here. When, you, when you're established in these houses, these beautiful, your beautiful homes, and you have the silver and gold, don't think for a minute that you did it. What did Obama say? You didn't do this by yourself. And we hated that statement. Uh, we Republicans hated that statement. But it's true. It, to some degree, it's true. Now, not to, not to, this is not political. I don't, I'm not political. Even though I told you I'm a Republican, I'm not political. I may become an independent. I may move to Canada. <laughs> we talked last week a lot, and I'm not going to belabor it. We talked last week a lot how easy it is for us uh, to to not pray for our needs. And because we, for the most part, we're probably established in our generation. We're probably established. We have maybe a little money in the bank, or at least we have a credit card we can use. You know, we don't have float checks anymore. We talked about all that last week, so I'm not going to belabor it. But what I want to remind you, how easy it is for us to trust the material world that we have instead of trusting God. And, and, we, and that's what he's saying. You're going to go into this material land that I'm giving you, and it's going to be good, but don't trust it. I'm your God. Don't trust it. It's what he's saying to them. You remember, do not forget God. But that's our default temptation. Our default temptation is to trust ourselves. Remember the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar? And uh, he fought battles, you know, fought even against Israel. And then one day he's in his palace and he said, and, and he's God's instrument. That's what, the, that's what the Bible teaches us. He is God's instrument. God used him to chasten the nation of Israel. God lifted him up. And remember what I said to you earlier, God establishes kings. And he lifted him up. And Nebuchadnezzar standing on his balcony looking at, did he do the hanging gardens? And he's looking at the hanging gardens. I'm going to believe he did. And so he's looking at those hanging gardens and he said, Look what I have done. Look what my hand has gotten me. <laughs> and God made him eat grass like an animal for seven seasons. I don't know how long seven seasons are. I don't know if that's an autumn and a winter. I don't know if that's a year and three quarters. I don't know if that's seven years. Nobody really knows how long seven seasons is. But it was long enough that his fingernails grew out and his hair became like fuzz on him everywhere. So it was more than seven days. It was a long time. 
And then his reason returned to him. God humbled him. And he said, there's no God like the God of, of heaven. There's no God like the God uh, that I haven't been worshiping. It's basically what he said. Jesus gave the story of the New Testament, same thing. He, Jesus gave the story of the man who uh, looked around, and I'm not quoting, but he looked around and said, I, I don't have room in my barns to store all my goods, so I'm going to tear down those barns and build bigger barns, and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. We love that. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And what did God say? You fool. You fool. You fool. This night your soul shall be required of you. And uh, what, a, what a sad thing. The, his goods could not redeem his soul, and they cannot help our soul either. We can enjoy them and thank God for them, but not trust them. Never trust them. So we come to the end of the story. And Jesus, when Jesus ended that story, and he said this, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. A person who is not rich toward God, he didn't say don't lay up treasure, but he said if you do that and you're not rich toward God, then you're a fool. So the end of this chapter says that it's God who owns everything. I want to read to it in verse 18 through 20. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyed before you, so you shall perish because you you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. And we know the end of the story. Uh, we know that they did perish. going to be hundreds of years in their future. They're going to have a lot of time in the land, uh, but they were not obedient to the Lord their God. Why? Because their nature is just like ours, was sinful, and they didn't keep their, their focus on their God. And their focus became on the things in the land. And it wasn't that they were terribly wicked. They drifted. And, and you can go from here and you read it in Joshua, Judges. You read it in the prophets. It's what the prophets, all the prophets, the minor prophets, the major prophets, they just keep saying the same thing oh, in a different way and, and using different illustrations because they live through it. So they have the illustration and God spoke to them to speak to us. But here, here's the theme. The theme is, is that here is your God, worship Him, and not idols. Not an idol of yourself and not an idol of the things of the world, but worship God. And they drifted into that worship, and the prophets come, and they, they trumpet the glory of God and the majesty of God and the sovereignty of God, and the people come back, some of them. Not all of them, but some of them. A remnant comes back. And, they, and so now they have focus, and then they drift again, and then they come back, and they drift again, and come back. And you think, well, at least they all come back, but what about those people that they led astray while they were drifting? And that's what we're responsible for. We're responsible for our children, our grandchildren, the kids who come to this church. We're responsible that the people who have their eye on us, that they don't see us drift, and they drift and never come back. 
remember, remember, remember. That's what the whole chapter is about. Remember, remember, remember. Pray with me, please. Our Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us your word. And Lord, we do want to remember you. We want to have a conscious awareness of you as we go through our days. And uh, Lord, it's so difficult. Our, our eyes are upon what we're doing and, and uh, what we uh, need to do and, and, the, and the things of our world. And, and Lord, not sinfully, but forgetfully. And so, Lord, forgive us and help us as we go through our daily lives and that we respond with grace and thankfulness. And, Lord, even when we sin and you chasten us, that, Lord, we turn to you with grace and thankfulness. And, and Lord, uh, we will enjoy your blessing. And that, and, and that blessing is that relationship with you, that intimacy with you, that we sense your presence in our life And Lord, we sense your pleasure in us and we rejoice in your grace. Please help us in Christ's name, amen. Well, God bless you and uh, we will see you in church.